As you know, we have been studying one of the most well-known chapters of our Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, that great depiction of faith and its great examples throughout the Old Testament. And we come today to our last sermon in that series, which I thought would be fitting for our baptismal time this morning, and which I intend as something of a charge to you, baptismal can- uh, to those who have been baptized, but also to those of you who are in your own Christian race and are seeking to endure as we have been discussing. And so I invite you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, as we close, you'll remember last week, we looked at this picture of a marathon race. The Twin Cities Marathon was coincidentally taking place on that very same day. And runners, uh, hundreds of runners, uh, thousands of runners were starting off and going on a 26-plus mile race. And we saw from Hebrews 12 and verse 1, given everything that we were seeing from Hebrews 11, People who had their own marathon race of faith. We have ours. If we are Christians, we are in a race. Not a sprint. A marathon. A marathon that will stretch your entire life until you die. Or until Jesus returns. There is a finish line in sight. It is to finish the race of faith That God gave you. And we saw in verse 1 that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I think primarily not those who are seeing us, but of those who are saying something to us. They are like snapshots along our race, and we look at them and we say, They finished, I can too. She finished, I can too. And as we look at this great cloud, not only of those who we read about in Hebrews 11, but all those other ones we read about in our Bibles and the ones we have seen in our own lives. As Seth testified to, his mother, an example to him of a woman who finished her race, who competed right until the end. And Seth testified of the example that she was to him. She is a witness. She is saying something to Seth. And each one of us in our own Christian journey have had people that have spoken to us, maybe not even by their words, but by their life, by their example, that there was something worth enduring for. And we also looked at last week, verse 2, the idea that in this race we are ultimately to look above all things at Jesus Because he is the great example of faith. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. He thought little of it. He thought nothing of it. He was was willing to embrace the shame. Why? For the joy set before him. That was faith. He looked ahead to the end of the race. And he said, if that's true, then it's worth enduring the cross for. It's worth despising the shame for. And what does Hebrews 12 tell us? He is now set down. He is seated. That's the idea. He is seated at the right hand of God. He's received the promise. He is the great example of faith. And so looking to him, he said, you run, Christian. 
You run with endurance, with patience, your race. Now, in light of all this, what is the main point? What is he telling about you and about me that we need to hear? Well, look with me at verse 3. He says, in light of what Jesus has done and how we should look to him, he says, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Here's what he's worried about. He's worried about the people that he was writing to and he's worried by the Spirit of God about us getting weary in our race. And not just getting weary, getting tired, getting faint. Fainting in our minds. You know what the idea of that is here in the Greek? The idea of this is internally getting discouraged. Internally being ready to give up Like if you went out on a 10-mile run and you got a little bit of the way in and your legs were burning and your chest was heaving and you said, I don't see the finish line anywhere in sight, what would you be tempted to do? You'd say, I'm done. Let me just turn around. I'm not sure this is worth it. I don't know that I want to get through all of this run. I don't know that I'm going to be able to get through this run. It would start with you getting tired... And what would it end with? Internally, you say, I'm done. I don't know that I can do this. I don't know that it's worth it. Friends, I just want to say this. Spiritual tiredness, spiritual fatigue, and spiritual discouragement is something that can fall on any single one of us. And isn't it the testimony of your life that it has at times? Have you become spiritually tired before? And you say, you know what? I'm just tired. It might not even be bodily tired. Just inwardly in your soul, you say, I'm tired. And then you start saying this, perhaps. Is it worth it? Do I really need to, to, to keep on running this calling that God has for me? I, I'm, I don't like it. I'm being opposed on every side. I don't know that I can make it. Maybe I should just give up. Maybe I should give up being a Christian. Maybe it's not worth trying to obey what God has called me to do. Maybe it's just, maybe I'm just going to give up one aspect of what I know God wants me to do. I, I can't do that anymore. I'm not supposed to. We're discouraged. What I want you to see here in verse number three is that the author of Hebrews is intending to give us a defense against discouragement. A defense against you being discouraged and me being discouraged of becoming spiritually fatigued, spiritually worn out, and coming to the place inwardly where we're saying, I don't know that I can make it. I don't know that it's worth it. What I want to look at this morning very briefly is simply this. By faith, a defense against discouragement. And I want to say to those of you who have been baptized this morning, At times, the race that you have in front of you will be tiring and you will feel weary and you will feel like you want to give up. And what I want to encourage you today as I encourage all of us and myself is this. Consider him. Consider him. 
Notice this is what he says. Consider him lest you become weary. What is the defense against discouragement? Consider him. What happens when your hands are growing weak and you're feeling spiritually exhausted and you're not sure you can hold out? Consider him. Consider him. Now I want to just say very briefly three things that this must mean for us. First of all, it means you must focus on something. You must focus on something. To consider him as a defense against discouragement, you must focus. Look back with me at verse 2. He says, in running the race of life that we are called to, he said, we are to look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus. And then in verse 3, he says, for consider him. You can't consider something unless you look at it. Do you understand? You can't consider and study something unless you are looking at it in the first place. And this word here, looking unto Jesus means focusing or fixing your eyes on something. Now, do you know something? To focus on something, you must ignore other things. Is that right? When you see someone who is focused, what are you saying about that person? What are you seeing about them? They are not looking at other things. They're looking at one thing. They are focused A horse that has blinders on is intended to focus so that the horse cannot see out of the peripheral vision and turn their head and look this way and that way, but they look straight ahead in one place. And so what Hebrews 12, 2 is exhorting us to is that we are to focus our eyes on Jesus to the exclusion of what is around us. And do you know why this is so central? Because self-focus will only feed your discouragement. Self-focus will only feed your spiritual fatigue. When you focus on yourself and your problems, do you get stronger or weaker? We all know from our own experience, we get weaker. And we see this in the Bible. Do you remember in, when Jesus is, uh, is, is there in the boat and there's the big storm and, and um, he's at, not in the boat, he comes walking past the boat and he's walking on the water and his disciples see him and they think he's a ghost. And Peter gets up one of the craziest ideas in all the Bible. He says, hey, Jesus, tell me to walk to you on the water. If that's really you, then tell me to walk on the water. Would you have done that? That was some real faith. I wouldn't have. And Jesus says, come, come here. And Peter does something even crazier. He gets out of the boat and he starts walking on the water. You say, how? Because Jesus empowered him in that moment to walk on water. And then what happened? The Bible says that Peter saw the wind. Now you can't see the wind. What can you see? what the wind does. You can't see the wind, but you can see the tree branches moving. And so that suggests to me, when Peter saw the wind, what was he looking at? The waves? I probably would have been looking at the waves too. How are my feet sticking up on this right now? But all all we know is that when he got out of the boat, he was looking at Jesus, and then he saw the wind, and he started to sink. And some of you today, or in the past, or in the future, you've been sinking And you know what it feels like. 
you've been sinking. And what you and I are doing is we are focusing, we are feeding our eyes on exactly what will make us more discouraged, what will make us more fatigued. Do you remember in, uh, Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19? Elijah, one of the great prophets in all the Bible, is utterly exhausted. He's physically exhausted, but he's spiritually exhausted. And he basically runs for his life. The king and queen are coming after him to try to kill him. And here's this great faithful servant of God who has done so many miracles, performed so many miracles for the cause of Christ, and he's utterly discouraged. And this is what he said. He says to God, he says, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Why was he discouraged? Because he looked on everything that was a challenge. He was focusing on everything that was negative. And he said, God, I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me. God, Let me just die. Let me just die. He was focusing on exactly what was feeding his discouragement. And I just want to encourage you today. When you are fighting discouragement in your life, if you keep your eyes on the hurdles and on the challenges and on the waves and on the wind of your life, you're only feeding your own discouragement. You're only feeding your own spiritual fatigue. He says, the author of Hebrews says, get your eyes off it. Look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Focus on him. Those who have run hurdles in track and field will tell you this. Never look at the hurdle. Never look at the hurdle. You look at an Olympic track star, they don't look at the hurdle. They look at the finish line and they run toward it. And as long as you and I keep looking at the hurdles and not looking at the finish line and the one who's standing there, you're going to be prone to trip up. You're going to be prone to fall in to spiritual fatigue. So notice we must focus on something, looking unto Jesus. But notice there's something else. There's something even more. We must think on something. So not only focus on something, but think on something. He says, for consider him. Consider him. Now, do you see there are two steps? One, to focus on, and two, to consider. Those, in a sense, are two different things. I I, I remember an example of this. There was a young man who used to attend our church, and um, he had... um, he had a crush, let's just be honest, on a young woman in our church. And, uh, and I remember the source of great amusement because this young woman who he had a romantic feeling for was playing the piano in one of the rooms at church with an open door. And this young man just so happened to be sitting right outside the door where this young woman was playing. Well, he thought he had the perfect excuse because he had a book and he was looking at the book. Right? So, no, nothing to see here. I'm just sitting here reading this book like the young scholar that I am. Here was the problem. Uh, one of his friends realized the book was upside down. <laughs> he was looking at the book, but he wasn't considering the book, if you know what I mean. He was considering something else altogether. And boy, that, that, that was a rough day for that young man. He did not quite live that one down. Now, what am I saying? When we focus on Jesus... We need to think on Jesus, to consider 
him. The idea here is of setting your mind on something, of considering it by way of comparison. Now notice what the idea of this example is. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Now that's a lot of words, but here's what he's saying. Consider him that was opposed by everyone. Now, do you know what leads to your and my discouragement in our spiritual lives? Opposition. Do you know when things are going really well, you don't get discouraged? Do you know when everything is, seems to be going well, you're having victory in your spiritual life, your family relationships are good, your work relationships are good, your health is good, that you've got enough money in your bank account? You don't get discouraged then. When do you get discouraged? When you're opposed? Maybe it's the opposition of yourself. You're discouraged because you keep falling into sin. And you say, why do I do this? Your flesh is opposing you. Maybe it's the devil. Maybe you are seeing just opposition in your spiritual life. You can't seem to get traction. And you say, I'm discouraged. Maybe it's some physical aspect of your life that has led you to a place of discouragement. And you say, it seems like the world is against me. He says, what do you do when you're facing that opposition? Look to him who was opposed. Consider him. Your discouragement involves being opposed, and he was opposed. And friends, he was opposed far more than you are opposed. Now, I just want you to think on this for just a moment. How often do you consider Jesus? I don't mean just look at Jesus. I don't mean just read about Jesus. How often is your spiritual discipline to consider him, to stop and think about him? Here's what I mean. I mean, you're dealing with relationships in your life that are broken, and they're broken because of your testimony as a Christian, and you're feeling discouraged. Is it worth it? And then you think about Jesus, and you focus your eyes on him, and you say, let me consider Jesus. He was rejected too. He was rejected by his family. He was rejected by his friends because he, for the cause of the kingdom of God. Do you consider him? You're feeling exhausted. You're feeling tired. You're feeling overwhelmed in your journey. And you think of the one who was so committed to the kingdom of God that they came to him late into the night and he healed all of them. And then he got up before dawn the next morning and went to have have fellowship alone with his father. Do you consider him? Do you think on him? Do you meditate on him? Is it a part of the daily practice of your life to meditate on Jesus? Friends, if you're feeling discouraged and you're feeling like you're not sure you want to go on, I'm pleading with you this morning, start considering Jesus, thinking on him, meditating on him. His entire life was of being opposed by the world, by the devil, and by the sinners around him. And if you want to avoid discouragement in your own life, you're going to need to know how to consider him. So notice not only do we focus on something, not only do we think on something, but finally we need to understand something. We need to understand something. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. I want us to think about that word endured. He endured it. Here's what I, why I think that's important. How many of you have ever had a plate of food in front of you, probably as a small child, and you were pushing away the zucchini that your mom put in front of you, or the red peppers, or whatever was in front of you, and what did your mom say to you? 
Have you considered all the starving children around the world that would love that piece of food? You've heard that before. You probably said it before, to be honest, if you're a parent. Now, what you're trying to do with your child is you're trying to say, you need some proportion. You need some perspective. That food is valuable. It's far more valuable than you think. Now, I want to step back for a minute. Do you think that the author of Hebrews is saying, consider Jesus because he had it way worse than you, and you just need to get a little stronger? It's not that bad. I don't think that's what he's saying, really. I don't think that Jesus understands how bad it is for you. And for sometimes it can be really bad. It can be really hard. I don't think he's minimizing it. I think he's saying this. He's saying not to focus on how hard Jesus had it, but that despite how hard it was, he endured. That's the idea. The idea is that Jesus finished his race no matter how hard it is. And that's how we can understand here in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's the point. Jesus is the author and the finisher of faith. You say, what does that mean? Just very briefly, I think it could mean two things. He could be talking about our own personal faith, like when I first trusted in Jesus. He could mean that. Now, that would be entirely true. Is Jesus the author of your personal faith, of you coming to Jesus Christ? Is Jesus the author of that? You better believe he is because he loved you far before you ever loved him. He's the author. Is he the finisher of your personal faith in Jesus? You better believe he is. He is the one who is able to keep you until the day of redemption. But I don't think that's what he's saying here. I don't think he's saying that Jesus is the author and finisher in that sense of our personal faith. I think here's what he's saying. He is the author and finisher of the faith, of faith itself. Now notice your Bibles here in chapter 12 and verse 2. Notice, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And what is the typeface for that word our in your Bible? It's italics. Now, one very helpful thing about our King James translation is that those words that are in italics, they're not actually there in the original Greek text, but our translators are saying, to understand this, this is implied. This word is implied. Literally, what the text is saying is he is the author and finisher of faith. Of faith. And of course, then it is our faith. It is the faith. Now, you say, why does that matter? Because in context here, with the focus on the idea that Jesus endured, it's the idea that he is the one who is the perfect example of what faith is. This word author here in the Greek is used in chapter 2 and verse 10. Same word that calls Jesus the captain of our salvation. Some of you may have played on a sports team when you were a younger and you had a captain of the team. Who's the captain of a team? The captain is the leader. The captain is the one who is first to go. The captain is the one who says, come on, we're going and you're following. The captain. What would it mean for Jesus to be the captain of faith. He is the first runner. He is the prime leader. He is the pioneer. 
of all of our faith. He is the one who sets the perfect example for the joy who was set before him, enduring the cross, despising the shame. But not only that, he is the finisher. And the idea here is of the perfecter, the completer, the one who brings it to its close. He is the finalizer of all our faith. You say, how? Not only because he's the perfect example of it, but because he finished the race and now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He finished the race perfectly. And now he is at the right hand of God, having all authority in heaven and in earth. Friends, what do you and I need to consider as a defense against discouragement? You need to consider him who is the captain, the pioneer, the author of faith that we cling to and is the perfecter and finisher and consummator and completer of it because right now he is at the right hand of God and if he is at the right hand of God, then he is able to bring you to the promise that he has made. He has all authority. No one is able to pluck his sheep out of his hand. He is able to complete the work that he started in you. He is able to bring you to the end of the race, even if it feels over and over like you want to give up. When we focus our eyes on Jesus, and when we consider him, and we rest in him, God gives us strength to keep on going toward the finish line that he has left for us. Do you know someone who realized this same kind of idea a thousand years before Jesus? A man named David. A man who we look through the Psalms and see his discouragement. We see his challenge. We see all the waves that he had to navigate in his life. Family rejection, family violence, all kinds. His own flesh warring against him and leading him into sin. All these challenges. And in Psalm 42, David realizes he's discouraged. And he needs to do something about it. And he said, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Why are you so spiritually tired? Why are you so exhausted in your calling? Why are you cast down? Why do you feel ready to give up? And here's what he says. Hope in God. Hope in God. Hope in God. What is hope? Hope is looking ahead to something I can't see yet, but I trust is there. Hope in God, what he has at the finish line. And to consider Jesus is to look at yourself and realize when you are struggling, when you are exhausted, when you are feeling spiritually fatigued, and to set your eyes on the one who is at the finish line and who has committed to get you there. If you trust in him. I don't know what aspect of the race, what portion of the race you are in today. I don't know what hurdles you have in front of you, what hills you have to climb today or at some point in the future. Other than this, I know that you're going to face them because we all do. And to avoid being weary and fainting in your own minds in discouragement, you're going to need to look away from some things 
And you're going to need to focus on Jesus. And you're going to need to consider some things. Consider who he is. Friends, I just want to encourage you. I'm so grateful at this church for the practice we have of reading our entire Bibles through each year. That's a wonderful thing and we should consider it. But you know, never let your Bible reading get too far from the Gospels. Never let your Bible reading get too far from the example of Jesus himself because you need to consider him. Consider him. Consider him lest you give in to discouragement. And then you need to understand something. That he is the author and finisher of faith. He is the captain and the perfecter of the faith that you cling to. And when you look to him, and when you consider him, you will have strength by his power to reach the finish line that he has set before you. Friends, consider him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of faith. And Father, I do ask this great, great danger for all of us, that we become spiritually weary and that we give up, that we give in, that we let go. I pray, Father, that all of our hearts and, eye and minds this morning would be considering Jesus. Consider him. Let's pause for a moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Friends, have, have you looked to Jesus for the first time to be saved? Have you placed your trust in him for eternal life? Have you embraced him as the only one who can give salvation and restore your relationship with God? If not, why don't you do that this morning? Why don't you look to him? But also, friends, if you're dealing with discouragement this morning, why don't you consider him? Consider him. Consider him as the author and finisher of your faith. The one who has all power to get you to the finish line when you keep your eyes on him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Oh, Father, may that be our testimony. And may we walk in what you have called us to do. May we finish the race that is set before us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.